morning. You can be seated. So today's uh, Pastor Tim is going to be reading through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thanks, Audrey. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we come to you this morning. And like this uh, section of scripture says, we, we ask for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to how precious is the flow uh, that makes us white as snow. Man, what a great song. What great words those are. What great hope. What great comfort that is to all of us, to, to the world uh, with tragedy and crisis and and shootings and, and all the stuff that we have to endure. God, we have hope um, in your son. We pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to it. Uh, we ask you for this in your great name. Amen. I would say have a seat. I feel like I say that every other time, but I guess you're already seated, so we're good to go. We're, we're, ahead, of the, we're ahead of the game. You're good. <laughs> Listen, I just got to say, first of all, how great it is to have a podium up here. Robbie, did you make this? I think you did. Robbie made this. He was just singing. Um, I was at a wedding. I did a wedding, my first wedding, like, last week. And uh, my mouth gets dry when I talk. I don't know if this happens to you. but I had So I had a bottle of water in my back pocket. Uh, but I felt like I was going to ruin the ceremony if I brought it out. You know, because there's no podium up there. It's just a it's just a handheld mic, and so I just tried to get through the sermon or the the ceremony. I felt like I was gonna swallow my tongue at one point, like the little blessings, right? Like this podium is. In fact, I'm gonna have a drink of water right now. This is. I don't think I'm gonna ruin the sermon if I have a drink of water. So, ah, nice to be here. A little more, a little more relaxed setting. I'm not in a suit. Uh, but anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be discussing this morning. And verse 18, Audrey read 15 through 23. This is one long prayer that Paul is, um, is praying for the Ephesians. We're kind of working our way painfully slow through this because it's so meaty. It's so beefy. We don't want to give up anything. I want to stay and I want to hang out in these different sections so we can like draw out everything we can out of them. And so that one section, if you put it up, Wyatt, is having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's not even the full verse 18. It's only like part of a verse. That's what we're covering today. And I want to start with a question. It'll kind of sound intense, but um, what are we doing here? Why are we here this morning? 
Why am I here? Why are you guys here? Are we here to play church? Am I here to just put on a show or, or to entertain you or, or to church you up a little bit and send you on your way so you can be a little bit more moral this this week, is that what I'm here? Are you here because, I don't know, it's just something that you do. You come to church. It's something maybe you've always done. It's nice. This barn is incredible. The donuts are incredible. Coffee, incredible people here. No doubt about that. Is that what we're doing here? It's not. That's not the, that's not the point of our church. That's not the point of the service. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. It's got to be more meaningful than that. The reason that we're here is to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we may know, like really know and understand and experience what is the hope to what we've been called to. Like, like we got to know it and we got we to gotta grow in that hope. We've got to mature in our faith. We want to lure people in with an incredible band, with an incredible space, with an incredible church. But when push comes to shove, when we dig into it, we're just not trying to put on a show. That's what I'm trying to say. We're just not trying to do cultural Christianity like this is just what we've always done. No, the, the idea, and we need to be reminded of this, is that we want to grow in our faith and we are trying to lead you to growth and, and understanding and what the hope is that you've been called to. I just, I just want to start out and just, we just want to stay laser focused on that. The reason that we need hope is because we live in an obviously, more obvious every day, an obviously hopeless world, don't we? All you got to do is look on the news. I actually haven't been watching the news, not necessarily on purpose. It just happens, you know, it's nice out. I don't, I'm not trying to sit in front of the TV right now. But someone just told me like two days ago that there was another mass shooting. I've just been checked out and, ha and haven't known about it. This is how I know we live in a hopeless world. You can't, you can't go to a grocery store. You can't go to an elementary school. You can't go to a 4th of July party without thinking about shots fired. What the heck is going on with the 18 to 21-year-olds? What is up with these kids, man? Like everybody's asking that question. What is wrong? What is, going, what is the issue? Uh, and, and people are trying to solve it. Democrats think it's gun control. Republicans think it's mental illness. Certainly there's probably some mental illness going on there. Like these, these kids are, are struggling. They are, they are not right. But I read an article the other day that I thought made it... Uh, a pretty good stab at what is going on. What is the problem with these kids? The title is the only thing you need to, need to read and, and you get the whole article. The article, the title is A Quest for Significance Gone Horribly Wrong. How Mass Shooters Pervert a Universal Desire to Make a Difference in the World. These kids, they want to matter. They want to be significant, and for whatever reason, they haven't felt that they've been significant. By the looks of them, they look disturbed. When you see pictures of them, they've probably been ignored and, and marginalized. What you know, whatever the that's, if, that's no excuse for it, this horrific atrocity that's going on. But they want to be acknowledged, and 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 it feels like they they're going to find a way to be acknowledged. Either you will acknowledge me, you will respect me, or you will fear me, and I will and I will 
make, find a way to make myself significant. And this is just a horrific thing that is, that, that, that is happening regularly, three in the last, whatever, month or six weeks, whatever it is. The quest for significance, and they use this other word, a perverted quest for significance. That's what they're struggling with. Are they the only ones that are struggling with that? Is it just this, the, the worst part of society that's struggling with this? No, man. I wish, I wish it was. This is a universal problem. This perverted quest for significance, it starts up front, up here, and it works all the way through us today, all the way to the back. C.S. Lewis has some interesting things to say in The Weight of Glory, his book. He says we have this inconsolable secret in the world that we live. Uh, we are, or we feel like strangers. But our deepest longing, our greatest desire is to be acknowledged. That's what C.S. Lewis says. We, we just want to be acknowledged as, as people. And anything that promises like respect or admiration, anything that promises significance, we put our hope in those things, don't we? So that we can be significant. How do we do that? I got a list. It's the promotion, potentially, for some of us. If I get this promotion, I will be seen as significant. I will put my hope in the promotion. If I, if I can get this career, then I will be seen as significant. I will matter. I will put my hope in this career. If I can just get successful in this career, then I will be significant. I will put my hope in the success of my career. I will put my hope in whatever achievement uh, is, the, um, is what I think is going to uh, make me significant. I will, I, if I could just get the good life, if I get the right spouse and the right kids and the right home, if I just had this good life, then people would see me as significant. I want to put my hope in the good life. If I just do these good works, if I am seen doing these particular things, maybe it's church related, maybe it's not, then people will see me as a good person. I will be significant. I will put my hope in the, in the good works. This is how we pervert the quest for significant, for significance in our lives. And what does that lead to? It leads to exhaustion. It leads to overwork, endless work, when we're trying to, trying to find our hope through our significance. Another guy named Mark Sayers, who I listen to, some of the leaders of the church listen to, he's got a, got a podcast and he, he talks about the cultural, the cultural impact on the church and how the, two are, how the two are affected. He talks about the great acceleration that we've been involved in for a time. And I don't know what the time frame is that he put on this, but I don't know if it's a decade. I don't know if it's since the American dream was a thing, which goes way back. The great acceleration is work hard, get ahead, achieve, acquire, bigger, better, faster. This is how we prove our significance. This is how we find hope. We have to grow our, our lives. We have to grow our finances. We have to grow everything. It's, and we've accelerated. And now there's starting to be some cracks in the acceleration. And we're moving from an acceleration to the great resignation. 
where people are now exhausted because of COVID, because of war, because of one crisis or another, maybe a financial crisis. The great acceleration is moving into the great resignation. The great resignation is actually talking about the employment problem that we have right now. That's where it was. That's where this, this title started, where people are resigning from their jobs because they don't want to deal with the cultural changes in, in the schools, perhaps, or they don't want to deal with the, the, the changes because of COVID. They don't want to deal with the, well, what are the, whether they have to be vaccinated or whether they don't have to be vaccinated. They're just resigning from their jobs left and right. I don't know how they're paying their bills, but people are just leaving the workforce, whether they're pulling unemployment, whether they're uh, retiring early. Everybody's resigning. So now we have an employment crisis. We have two jobs for every one unemployed person. So if you're an employer, you have to pay employee. Just track with me for a second. You have to pay an employee more. You have to entice them by paying them more to come and work for you that creates inflation. That's called wage inflation. That's why we have an inflation problem. When you pay somebody 20 bucks an hour to flip a burger, you have to charge more for your burger, don't you? So the great resignation is all about employment, but it's more than that. It's so much more than that. People are, are resigning from life, from volunteering. We have something called the volunteer apocalypse right now that apparently is worldwide. Volunteers are just drying up because people had this great excuse with COVID. Uh, I don't want to volunteer anymore. I might get sick. I'm not going to do it. So volunteers are just hard to come by now. They're just, they've just dried up. People are resigning from, from volunteering. We see this in not only in employment and the economy, but we see this in the church. The acceleration happened in the church as well. We had these huge mega churches that grew bigger, faster, stronger, more sites. Well, we technically are a, a multi-site church now, but we are far from a mega church. But those, that acceleration, that, that big rush of, of church growth is starting to show cracks. Because as people open the doors from COVID, what's happening? People were shut down for COVID, churches were. When they open the doors, only 50% of the people are coming back. People are resigning from church. Not necessarily our church. We're not seeing that, that same level. But across the world, the great resignation is affecting church. It's affecting employment. It's affecting every, everybody's just kind of resigning. I'm gonna do my own thing. We've resigning, we've resigned from everything, from moral absolutes. Nah, we just do whatever you want. More or uh, sexual absolutes, gender absolutes. We're resigning across the board. The great acceleration did not satisfy us, did not give us the hope that we were looking for. And instead, it led us to exhaustion. It led us to anxiety. People are languishing, just like living these joyless, stuck lives. And it's leading to hopelessness. What do we learn from that? There's a couple things. The first thing is the great resignation might not be all that bad. That there may be some good that's coming from this. It's, it's a troubling situation, certainly if the economy struggles, that's not gonna be great. But, but there are some positives here. It's revealing that we were putting our hope in the wrong things. We were trying to 
find significance in the wrong things and putting our hope in things that wouldn't last. It's revealing that to us. And when, it reveal, when it's revealed, like when all of these things that we had our hope in, when those are torn down, when, when we are hopeless because these things didn't satisfy us, the, the success, the achievement, the acquisition, the, the growth of our lives, when these things get torn down, what's left? Only one hope can be remaining here. Through hopelessness, we might find true hope. So in a sense, the great resignation might actually be a net positive for us. We may lose church members. People may resign from from church, from their faith. But I don't know that they ever had faith to begin with. So what is left remaining is this core group that understands, that knows, that, that values the hope to which we were called. The solution to this problem. When you, when you look at the world, the solution is a joke. Reading some New York Times articles this week, oh my gosh. I, somebody was talking about the idea of languishing, how so many people are languishing after COVID. And, and this one guy is writing, he's trying to be helpful, but he's talking about flow. If you just get your flow back, COVID interrupted our flow. We just need flow back in our life to, to uh, conquer our languishing. And the flow was, was, like he literally said, if you play like a word game in the morning, that will really help you get going. That'll help your flow. Or if you binge watch Netflix at the end of the day, that'll really help you um, empathize with the characters in the show. And that'll really help you with your flow and your languishing. And you'll feel better as a result of that. These are the solutions that are being peddled in culture. Is this ridiculous? This is not a flow problem. It's not a social problem. It's not a political problem. It, it won't be resolved with a, uh, with a political party. It's not a financial problem. We tried sending checks to everyone, remember? Did that work for us? Didn't turn out great. Now we've got another cry, an inflation crisis that we have to deal with. It's a spiritual problem, right? And we have the solution in verse 18. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So let's talk about the hope. I was trying to figure out, like, how can I articulate the hope? What is hope? The hope. And I'm a little embarrassed to say it was hard to like figure it out. <laughs> I felt like a, uh, a kid in Sunday school, you know, that doesn't know the answer to the problem. And I was like, ah, it must be Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's got to be Jesus. I'm, I'm sure it's Je- the gospel. Is it the gospel? Ma- my brother Matt and I were talking and <laughs> I'm just bumbling around like, what's, so what's the solution? What, how do we define hope? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And then that one verse 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared when asked to give a defense of the hope that is in you. I'm like, dude, I, I'm a failure. I can't believe that I'm going to stand up here and try to tell these people what the hope is. So in this discussion with my brother Matt, we were like, well, maybe if we see the problem, it'll be easier to come up with a solution. <laughs> Let's review the problem, which I just did for you for 17 minutes now. 
The problem though, let's, let's try this though. The problem is our hope is in the wrong place. We've been on this perverted quest for significance. We put our hope in the quest for significance. We put our hope in the things that we see with the eyes of our heads, not the eyes of our hearts. We need to see the hope is unseen. How do you see unseen things? You don't use your eyes, you use your hearts. That's what this verse is telling us, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. You see the hope to which we've been called to with the eyes of our hearts. We need to darken our eyes and we need God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we can see the solution because we put our hope in Everything that we see, and what do we get as a result of that? We get exhaustion, we are languishing, we've got an epidemic, not of COVID, but we get an epidemic of anxiety, of stress, overwork, people are overextended, and it's leading to hopelessness. Do you want to know what the hope is? The hope is the end of that. Hope is the end of hopelessness. Hope is the, is the end of the quest for significance. Hope is the beginning of the fulfillment of significance. We are significant. Hope in that. God tells us we are significant. If C.S. Lewis is right, if our deepest desire is to be acknowledged, if our greatest longing is to be respected or, or, to, or to be uh, admired, we have that in God. God accepts us. I mean, like, no, not only does he acknowledge us, but he accepts us. He calls us. The hope to which you've been called to. He calls us. He chose us. For himself, he adopts us into his family. He redeems us with the blood of his son, that precious flow that we just talked about. He justifies us, he restores us to the hope of his salvation. That is the hope to which we've been called to. Have you been called? Do you, do you long for that hope? Are you, do you feel hopeless? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel like you're languishing? Are you exhausted because you're just working your tail off and, and the increase that you've gotten just went to the gas station or, or whatever the, whatever's going, you're, you're maxed, you're, you're, you, just have, you just have too much and life just feels hopeless? You've got to see that God has called you called means to be invited that's that's that that's what that word means you've been invited by god to experience the hope of salvation it comes only from god we can't manufacture the calling we can't cause the calling it comes only through the, the calling and the hope in Jesus' work on the cross the fact that he went to the cross and paid for our sins he went to the cross and paid for our redemption. We no longer have to work our tails off to be significant. We don't have to achieve anything. We don't have to work for it. God has worked for it. God has done the work. God has achieved everything for us. All we have to do is believe. And take a deep breath, man, that the hope is ours. 
We can't cause this hope. We can't cause the calling of the hope, but we can confirm it. Let me pull up 2 Peter 1.10. Peter's saying, uh, he, he, he details out these qualities that he wants people to be, be doing, and then he ends it with this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail, or never fall, excuse me, about the same. The qualities he's referring to. So to confirm your calling and election, right? We can't cause it, but we can confirm it. To confirm that you've been called, your life needs to look differently. Remember in the beginning, I was like, we want to grow some hope in this place. We want to see maturity growing and increasing. We want to see faith uh, uh, abound. We want to see lives transformed. This is how we do it. Faith These are the qualities that we need to be practicing. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and brotherly affection. Those are a a pretty awesome list. I'm going to boil those down to five things that are super practical of ways that we can participate in the calling. Ways that we can confirm the calling and grow the hope. i got to be honest with you, though, before I give you this list of five. We haven't done a good job of telling people how to live their lives at this church. And the reason is we're, we're highly gospel-centered, gospel-focused. We want to we hit you with the gospel and, and only the gospel most of the time because we don't want you to be thinking, oh, if I just do this, that, and the other thing. These are five steps to a, uh, to a Christian faith or whatever. We, we don't want that. We desperately don't want people to misunderstand what we're doing up here. We want you to know it's only Jesus that does the saving. It's only faith in him that will justify you. But I think it's been a disservice because we haven't told people some really insanely practical ways that you can confirm your calling. I think that's confirmation. That's hilarious. I'll give you that 10 bucks later. That's great. <laughs> She's a plant. <laughs> so I just want to tell on, ourse- tell on a- us a little bit and just say, I-, I believe we've done a dessert. We were just talking about this in an elder meeting. Like, maybe we're too gospel focused. Can you be too gospel centered and not giving people really practical things that they can do to confirm the calling in their, in their lives? So here's, here we go. Here's five, all right? First one is prayer, okay? Sounds like an easy one, right? But this is the most important one. This is what Paul is doing in this letter. He's praying for these Ephesians, having the eyes that he's praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, they would know the hope to which he's called you. This is a a righteous prayer. What do we usually do in prayer? We pray like, I pray for Tim down the street, which is a guy that we... uh, who's struggling that we pray for all the time with, with our kids. I pray for, you know, this uncle and this, uh, this brother and, and, and all these things that they would be helped. I just found out my brother in California, he prays like for 37 people a day, he says. I, like, this is crazy. Uh, but he said, yeah, I've been praying that God would shower you with cash. 
I'm like, you've been praying that God will shower me with cash? Is, is that where that came from? Like, I don't want to tell him not to pray that, you know? Like, don't stop praying that, but maybe add a couple other, couple other details, right, in the, in the prayer for me. The eyes of my heart enlightened. Like, th- this is a killer prayer that we should be praying for ourselves, praying for each other. Prayer is the greatest way to confirm our calling and to create an additional connection with God. We need to be praying all the time. We pray, I heard this statement a long time ago, we pray when we feel like praying, we pray when we don't feel like praying, we pray until we feel like praying. It just needs to be constant, okay? Put a post-it note in your car or, or wherever to remind you that we need to be going to God in prayer. That will help confirm our calling and grow our faith. So prayer is the first one. The second one is self-reflection. Listen, if the great resignation means we're gonna be slowing down, I don't know that that's all that bad. Maybe we need to reevaluate all of the busyness in our lives. If you've got a family, if you've got kids and a work and a side hustle and a church and like you're busy, we've got to slow down and carve out some time for self-reflection in that how do we screw up the quest for significance in our life? What are we putting our hope in? What are we misplacing our hope in? How are we jacking things up by putting our hope in the wrong things and then becoming exhausted and hopeless as a result of that? we got to think through where we're doing that and then we repent of that. In a nice quiet time in the morning before everybody else gets up. Repent of that. And then you pick up the book and you read about the true hope, the real hope, the better hope, the lasting hope. I've got this little screensaver on my phone that someone told me, I think it's Psalm 62. And it's just a reminder, for God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Hold on. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Like, it's not, it's not going to change my life, like, every time I read that. But it is a reminder of the hope, the real, the true, and the lasting hope. We've got to spend time in self-reflection, repenting of the, of the, of the way we screw up uh, our quest for significance and asking God to enlighten our hearts to the hope which he has called us to. Third one, prayer, self-reflection, and worship. These three things, oh my gosh, will change your life, okay? On a stressful morning when the stock market's getting crushed, which a couple of us uh, you know, have to watch on a daily basis. This is my... This is my side hustle, (laughs) main hustle probably. Um, This is a hopeless, kind of a stressful day. I need probably self-reflection first. I need prayer, and then I need to put in some highly Christ-centered worship in the car. So before I even step foot in my office, before I even open my stock market app, on my phone and see what kind of craziness is going on. I've been reminded of the hope to which he has called me. My eyes have been enlightened, at least as much as can be, so that I can, I can deal with the stress. I can deal with the, with the issues of the day. Worship. Let me get back to worship. Worship is, oh, it's a great way to tune your heart to the hope. Okay? It's the soundtrack of your faith. My brother told me the other day, which I thought was so great. It's like, I, I have to put on, like, these songs that we're singing... 
Oh, precious is the flow. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the cross. We're talking about the blood. This is the, this is the, the stuff that we need to be tuning our hearts to. The scripture is amazing. Okay, there's no substitute for scripture, but worship just connects you differently with the gospel and with the hope to which we've been called to. Worship in your car, worship in your home, figure out what songs we're singing, play those on a regular basis, and worship here, please. Worship as if your life depends on it. It doesn't. It doesn't depend on anything you do. It depends on Jesus and your faith in him, but let's worship passionately together. This is, I like urge you, like that. when I put my hands up, like I'm no hero, just to, just to be clear, but when I put my hands up, I'm not always feeling the hope, okay? I'm feeling the hopelessness a lot of times, but this is the posture I want to take, like, oh God, I want the hope. I'm not feeling it, but I know you can give it to me. Enlighten the eyes of my heart to what is the hope to which I've been called. Like, this is, this is what I want, and, I'm, and I'm, I can't make it very far up there, right? I'm challenged a little bit. Like, but he, I feel like he scoops us up when we do that. Worship passionately. It will confirm your calling. It will grow your faith and increase your hope. What's that, number three? Prayer, self-reflection, worship, and giving. Giving is uncomfortable. People don't like to talk about it. Pastors especially because they feel like it's self-serving. I don't have that problem because I don't get paid. Brian doesn't get paid. A lot of us don't get paid to be here. We pay to be here like some of you. But giving, I, I actually love to talk about it just partly because I'm an investment advisor. Giving is, um, it's our secret weapon to our faith. Do you want to grow your faith? Give. Test God. He invites us to test him in Malachi 3. He says, bring in your tithe to the storehouse or whatever the section says and, and see if I don't bless the heck out of you. It's a loose interpretation. It's actually pretty close though. Here, I, I'll read it. Let me just read it because it's good. Like he told, tells us not to test him in other sections of scripture. But in this section, he is telling us to, to, to test him. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Pretty clear, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more, no more need. That sounds like he's going to bless the heck out of those people. The same will be true of you. If you give, you will receive something. I, I don't want to sound like we're preaching prosperity gospel, right? Like they do on the, on the TV, you know, trying to get people to give a couple of bucks and promising that it's going to return 10, 10 times the amount that they gave. That, that's not the case. You may be blessed financially. I don't know, like whatever God wants to do, I guess. But you will receive something. When I, in 2009, I got married to my wife. And my wife says, Holly says to me, um, you love the gospel, right? Okay, yeah, we should probably give to the church. And I'm like, yikes, it's tight. Things are really tight. I don't know. But we started giving, and something crazy happened, okay? We gave. I gave because I love the gospel. But then I love the gospel because I gave, I think. 
Do you follow me? I, I gave because I love the gospel, and I love the gospel because I gave. It started to grow something inside of me. I wanted more. I wanted to, I, I was motivated to, to dig in and see the hope to which we've been called to. It didn't return void. I don't know that I've been blessed financially as a result of that. Maybe, maybe things have gone well for us in part because of that, but that's no promise. The promise is if you want to grow your faith, if you want to grow the hope, if you want to have your life upended by the gospel, give. It's the only place that we have like some control over our faith. He t- he'd like, he's like daring you to give. And I don't care if you give to this church. It doesn't matter to me. Give to a church. Find one that you want to give to, that you can support. Like give something. Some of you are in financial straits, in financial difficulty because you're just starting out or you're, or, or you're in debt. Like I would invite you to give just a small amount, like a buck a month or something, or five bucks a month, so that when we see the list of, of givers, we can see that and we can know this person's struggling financially. This person needs prayer. We can pray for you and pray that God would, would fix your financial problem, pray that God would fix your your heart problem, which we all suffer from, or we're put our hope in the wrong place, and, and then God would motivate you that, that your faith would grow and you would want to give more in the future. Just, you got to get on board. I mean, you've got to get, you got to get, uh, you got to get on the board is what I meant to say. Start giving something. A lot of you have been faithful, and we're, and we're so thankful for that, but giving is a great way to confirm your calling. Last one is to Volunteer. I told you we've going through a volunteer apocalypse. There's, there's no more volunteers. Not quite that bad. But there's opportunities for us to volunteer in the city. There's great opportunity. To be honest, our church isn't doing a, a great job of, of supporting the city. We've been trying to keep the Sunday morning or get the Sunday morning thing going for a year out here. We do the Thanksgiving. If you don't know, it's called THX. We do this Thanksgiving outreach where we try to bless the city. But we want to do more. Volunteering is a great way to do it. We're not going to be able to tee up this great big program for you probably. I think we're, we're, we're out of time and energy. But we have an army of people here that are in the community on, on a regular basis. Keep your eyes peeled for opportunities so that we can serve the city like we have been served. That's what we want to do. And not only is it something good to do, it can be good for you. This is what I mean by this. A counselor said the other day, uh, I heard this secondhand, um, but said, Depression is extreme self-focus. And the antidote to depression, the antidote to extreme self-focus is to volunteer because you take the focus off of yourself and you put it on someone else. And you say, oh man, this person's struggling. This person needs something. This person, I can help this person. I can spend time with this person. What, whatever it is. It's not only good to do, it's good for you. And it can help you. If you're struggling with anxiety and the stress and, the, and possibly depression uh, in, the, in the world we live in, in this great resignation, volunteer. Those are the five. Prayer, self-reflection, worship, giving, and volunteering. This is how we can grow that hope to which he has called us. This is how we can participate. We can't cause it, but we can participate and we can confirm the call to that great hope that we have.
in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, just reiterate, I guess. I, I just want to reiterate what, what we just said. We want to we come together. We want to repent of the ways that we will, we will do in just a second when we go to communion of how we hope in the wrong things, how our hope is misplaced. And we want to um, realign our hearts. We, we ask you that you would darken our eyes of our head and you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That we would be able to see the unseen. That we would be blinded to the, to the, the things that we see, the hope that is in front of us. And we would see the incredible hope. The hope of redemption the hope of, of justification, the hope of restoration, the hope of your salvation. Oh my gosh, do we need that so bad in a, in a hopeless, struggling world. God, we ask um, that you would do it for us. We, we, we ask that we would, get a, a, we, would, we would grow a church that wants to participate in whatever way that we can, but we, we know that you're the one that causes this to happen. I pray, I pray that there would be some people that would long for that hope this morning, that they, would, that they would hear the description of it and they would say, I'm hopeless and I want that, that that would turn into a, a quiet prayer to, God, to you, God, that, that, would, that, that, would, uh, that they would say, God, is it true? Can you give me that hope? That that would be a spark of faith for them, that you would honor that, and that they would be lavished with the hope to which we've been called for. That's what we want. That's what we're doing here. We want to see that hope begin in people's lives. We want to see that hope continued and grown in the rest of us. We thank you, God, for everything you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's go to a time of communion. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to jump up and grab um, a cracker and some juice, and I'll talk you through communion in just a minute.